Well, this morning we are continuing our series from Nehemiah, and um, Nehemiah had been called by God to um, lead his people in rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem, and this was critically important that it got done. Um, It was 445 BC, and the walls were still rubble uh, from when the Babylonians had invaded the city some 140 years previously. And in all of that time, it meant people could just walk in and out of the city as they pleased. And what was happening was, was that the Jewish people were in danger of assimilating with all of the other nations. And it was absolutely critical that they kept their distinction as an ethnic people group. Uh, Because, of course, it was from Israel that the Messiah was destined to come, who would be the savior of the whole world. And so when Nehemiah's enemies tried to get him to come down from the wall in their attempt to stop the building project, um, and Nehemiah says to them, I cannot come down, I'm about a great work, he didn't know the half of it. Neither did they. It was a far greater work than they could have ever possibly have imagined. The work that Jesus will ultimately complete when he comes again, it's a work that we, uh, his church, are still engaged in, which is to see the kingdom of God, right, the kingdom of heaven come to earth. And so if you are following Jesus today, right, you are also about a great work. And it's greater than any of us could possibly imagine as well. Right? We will we will not really appreciate the influence that we've had or the fruits that we have borne until that last day. Uh, As David Rogers uh, told us last week, he quoted Jesus in John 15 saying, I've chosen you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Or as the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, he says, for we are God's handiwork, with his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do or for us to walk in. So it's not like we have to kind of come up with the good works, right? We just need to be prayerfully walking with Jesus through our everyday lives and we will find ourselves about a great work because it's his work that we're engaged in, right? So just for example, every time you pray for someone or you serve someone or you forgive someone in Christ's name, you are about a great work. Every time you say yes to what God says in his words as opposed to what the world says, you are about a great work. Every single who chooses celibacy, every married who chooses faithfulness is about a great work, right? Parents raising children, no less significant than Nehemiah raising the walls of Jerusalem. You are about a great work. Wherever you care for the brokenhearted, the poor, the vulnerable, the orphan, you are about a great work. Whatever you do to serve the good of society or for God's good creation, you are about a great work. Every minute that you spend, every, every dime that you give in serving the church and helping it to advance God's kingdom, you are about a great work. All right? I could go on, but I think you get the gist, right? However, however, as Gareth 
pointed out last time. We have a spiritual enemy who will do everything in his limited power to disarm you, to discourage you, to distract you from that work. And that's why life can feel like a battle at times, can't it? It's why so often we might feel like giving up. We may feel overwhelmed. And that's what happened in Jerusalem when they were working on the wall. And I want us to read again from chapter 4 of Nehemiah. And we're going to read from verse 10. This is what it says. In Judah, it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. That's those who were working on the wall. Their strength was failing. There's too much rubble, they said. By ourselves, we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. At that time, the Jews who lived near them came from all directions and said to us ten times, wherever you turn, they will attack us. And so in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, in open places, Nehemiah says, I stationed the people by their clans and with their swords and their spears and their bows. And I looked and arose and said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers and your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. And so Lord, we just ask you today as we come to your word, as we consider this story, Lord, I pray that you would strengthen each one of us here today for the work that you've called us to. Lord, I pray it, Lord, for your namesake and for your glory. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. God's people were getting worn out, okay? They, they didn't feel like they had the strength to continue. There was just too much rubble. It must have seemed overwhelming to them. It's like they, they'd actually got halfway, but they felt like they couldn't finish the job. Not only that, but on every side, it seems there was constant opposition to what they were doing. They must have felt like giving up, you know, just throwing in the towel. Have you ever felt like that? Maybe there's some of you here this morning who feel like that right now. Maybe you're facing a situation where you feel like you just can't seem to win or where you are feeling overwhelmed by your circumstances, maybe weary in the battle. You know, the battle to, uh, to do what's right, uh, the battle to keep trusting, keep believing, keep going. The battle for our children or for our loved ones. Uh, the battle against addiction, against sickness uh, or sinful desires. The battle in our minds and in our emotions. Feelings of uh, inadequacy, of, of loneliness, of depression. Uh, the struggle with our sexuality, our identity, anxiety. The things that actually some of us here struggle with every single day. Sometimes it feels like there's just too much rubble. And so we can feel like throwing in the towel, you know, maybe getting drunk, blotting it all out, or even giving up on life itself. 
I'm sure that there are some of you here who have heard those voices in your head telling you to end it all. And that is the voice of the enemy. That is the same voices that we hear in this story of those who wanted to come in amongst God's people and kill them and stop them from working. Same voice. So what was Nehemiah's response here? What can we learn from this passage that will help us when we feel like we just can't go on? Or maybe when we feel like giving up on ourselves or another person or a situation, all right? Well, let's get the, uh, that, that passage back up. Verse 13, um, we see that in places where they were most vulnerable, Nehemiah grouped people together by their clans and with their weapons so that they could fight for one another. They could stand together and they could fight for one another. There was going to be strength in that. But we also see at the end there in verse 14 that before telling them to fight, he says, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Now, two things, therefore, we see there. Number one, we need one another. We won't make it alone. Number two, we need to look to God. All right? Now, I just want to focus mainly on that second thing this morning. I will briefly return to the first point right at the end. But I just want to focus on that second thing. Nehemiah was telling them to put their confidence in God. Or as he says later on in verse 20, he says, Our God will fight for us. He was saying, don't look at the rubble. Don't look at the problem. Look at God who is able to do so much more than we could ask or imagine. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Right? He is with us. Right? He is with us. He is for us. He will fight for us. Which as we know, God did. Didn't he? Because we know the end of the story, don't we? You can read it in the following chapters. We know that with God's help, they rebuilt that wall in 52 days, which was a miracle. What's more, in chapter 12, we read that there was this time of great celebration as they dedicated the wall. And Nehemiah, he had what seemed like half the people of Jerusalem up on top of the wall, following these two great choirs on the wall, right, going these different directions, singing, giving thanks to God uh, for what he had done. And I just think that is hilarious. Um, because as Gareth reminded us at the beginning of chapter 4, one of their enemies, Tobiah, had mocked them, saying what they were building was pathetic. He said, even if a fox gets up on this wall, it's going to fall down. And yet here we are at the end of the story. It seems like the whole of Jerusalem is on top of the wall, walking around, celebrating everything that God had done. Right? They're kind of rubbing it in the face of the enemy. And that's how it will be for us one day, folks. That's how it will be for all who are trusting in the Lord. So you may feel like everything's against you. You may feel like maybe you're not accomplishing much in life. You may feel you can't win or that the things that you have longed for aren't coming to pass. But one day, we will all be celebrating what God has done. Imagine if we could see the outcome now. 
Imagine if the people of Jerusalem, you know, when they were overwhelmed by these piles of rubble, their strength is giving out, and they're saying, we can't do it, we can't go on. Imagine if they could see what was about to happen, that in just a few weeks' time, they were going to be on top of this completed wall, all celebrating right, God's amazing accomplishments. Right? What do you think that would have done for their morale, if they could have seen that? What would they have done for their motivation, their thinking, their determination, their joy? It's a bit like being a Patriots fan watching a replay of Super Bowl 51. Now, forgive me if you're not a Patriots fan this morning, right? Uh, Forgive me if, like me, you weren't born in this country. I'm just trying to contextualize for the majority, okay? Super Bowl 51. Anyone remember that one? What was that? 2016? That was the Patriots versus the Falcons. That was New England versus Atlanta. And if you remember that game, and I'm sure many of you do, right, it was halfway through the third quarter, and Atlanta are winning 28 to 3. No one in Super Bowl history had overcome such a huge deficit. The rubble was too much, all right? The strength of the Patriots fans is failing. I'm sure some of them felt like walking away. Their heads are in their hands. What's more, the Atlanta fans are all mocking, right? They're all laughing at the Patriots fans, right? They're celebrating. Cheerleaders are going crazy, right? High-fiving one another. They're all rejoicing their sure win. But then, James White gets a touchdown. Matt Ryan gets sacked. So there's going to be some consolation. But then, the Patriots score more points. Right? It's now 28 to 12. But now, there's only six minutes to go in the fourth quarter. It's still too much. Then there's another touchdown. There's another sack. The Patriots fans, they're on the edge of their seats. In fact, they can't even sit down, right? They're too nervous to sit down. They're walking around, pacing the floor, right? Hardly bare to watch. And then with just 50 seconds remaining on the clock, it's another touchdown to bring it to 28 to 26. Everyone is holding their breath. They can't even watch as the Patriots manage to get a two-point conversion to bring it into overtime, right? No one could have imagined it. Right? The drama of it. No one can believe this is happening. No one is, is, is thinking about eating or drinking at this point. Right? They'd feel too sick. Right? Is it possible? Is it just possible they could pull this off? Well, as you know, they did. There was a touchdown in overtime, and they pulled off the biggest comeback in Super Bowl history. And what a celebration there was! And of course, right, having lived through that tense, nail-biting drama, what are the fans going to do afterwards but now watch the game highlights all over again, right? I mean, I wonder how many here watched the highlights, the things you couldn't bear to watch when it was live, right? Except this time, it's a whole different experience, isn't it? 
See, this time, you make yourself comfortable, you settle into your easy boy, right? You surround yourself with your chips and your pizza and your drinks. This time, it's going to be fun. You're not nervous anymore, you're not anxious about anything, right? You just watch those Atlanta fans at 28 to 3, high-fiving, celebrating their win, mocking the Patriots, and you just laugh at them. You're talking to that TV screen. Just you wait. You're not going to score another point in this game, right? Watch, see what unfolds. You're going to be weeping. Your whole demeanor and outlook has changed, right? Why? Because you know what's coming. If only we could see what's coming, what lies around the corner, how God intends to work things out. What a difference that would make, right? And yet God has promised to work things out, hasn't he? He's promised to work all things together for the good of those who love him. Romans 8, 28. And in fact, we see a picture of that in the Old Testament in the life of Jacob. Jacob was a bad father, all right? Uh, he's shown favoritism to his son, Joseph, and the other 11 brothers were jealous of Joseph. They wanted to do away with him. They end up selling him off into slavery. Poor old Jacob thinks his beloved son is dead. In fact, he thought that for a long time. thought J Joseph was dead, buried. And it was several years later when Joseph had risen to become the prime minister of Egypt, there was a famine in the land. And so Jacob and his sons, they faced starvation. Uh, life was tough for them. And so Jacob sent his sons to Egypt to see if they could buy some grain. But he kept his youngest son, Benjamin, at home with him. He didn't want to lose another son. So the other boys, off they go to Egypt. They don't recognize Joseph. And Joseph gives them some grain, but he tells them to come back with Benjamin. And to make sure that they do, he keeps one of the older brothers, Simeon, with him in Egypt. So the brothers, they've got to go back to their dad and tell them what he has said. And this is what Jacob says to them in Genesis 42. He says, you have bereaved me of my children. Joseph is no more. Simeon is no more. And now you would take Benjamin? Everything is against me, he says. There was a famine in the land. They were facing starvation. He'd lost his sons. He felt like everything was against him. But you know what? We might well feel justified in thinking he brought some of this upon himself. But you know, that's how we can feel at times, isn't it? That everything seems against us. Nothing seems to be going right. Just can't get out of this hole. Doesn't seem to be a light at the end of the tunnel. And we think, well, maybe I brought this on myself. If only I'd done this. If only I hadn't done that, maybe things would be different. You ever been tempted to think that? But just when Jacob thought everything was against him, God, in his grace was working everything together for his good. As Joseph was to say to his brothers later on, what you intended for evil, God meant for good. 
Jacob couldn't see what was coming round the corner, but it wasn't long before he would find out that Joseph was actually alive. Simeon had been in the best of hands, and there was a big family reunion coming, together with an abundance of provision of food, and with Joseph's protection, they would all live blessed lives in the land, and all of that in spite of Jacob's failings, right? That is the grace of God. And here's the thing. This is the thing, right? From that dysfunctional family was to come a nation, Israel. And from that nation was to come the Savior, Jesus, through whom we can all enter into the blessing of that family. Because in Christ, Jacob's story has become our story as well. And he is working all things together for our good and for our ultimate blessing in spite of all of our failings. That is great news, folks. That is the gospel, right? That is something worth celebrating, as we heard this morning. And that's why Nehemiah could say, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Even when everything seems against us, we have cause for hope. We can't see exactly how things are going to work out. We can't see exactly what is around the corner, but we can trust that God is at work, that God is with us, that God is for us, and God is fighting for us and for the things that we care about. And that's why the Scriptures tell us, don't give up. Don't give up. You don't know what's around the corner. Don't give up on others. Don't give up on the church. Don't give up on your situation. Don't give up on life. Don't look at the rubble. Look to God. Right? Jesus himself made it very clear that we should pray and not give up, didn't he? What have you been praying for? What is it that you're praying for? Right, listen. Don't lose hope. Don't give up. Hold on for God. Right, he is at work. I love the story of George Muller, um, who... God used him to care for over 10,000 orphans in his lifetime. This was in the mid-19th century. And he never took a salary. He never asked anyone directly for money. Uh, he just took his needs to God in prayer, and God provided in often miraculous ways. We've got people sending him exact amounts of money that he'd been praying for in secret. And we know this because he kept a book, a record, of all the prayers and of all the answers. And he and his orphans never went hungry. Over 10,000 in his lifetime. Amazing story. Great man of faith. But what a lot of people don't know is he also kept a list um, of people he was praying for, praying for their salvation. And he kept this list his whole lifetime, praying faithfully for these people, checking them off the list as one by one they came to faith. And uh, this is what he says, quotes George Muller. He says, The great point is to never give up until the answer comes. 
I've been praying for 63 years and eight months for one man's conversion. He's not saved yet, but he will be. How can he be otherwise? I'm praying. Isn't that amazing? Amazing man of faith. He didn't know how it was going to happen. In fact, when Muller had died, the man still hadn't come to faith. But he was present at Muller's funeral. And it was as the coffin was being lowered into the ground that his friend gave his life to Christ right there by the graveside. And so George Muller's persevering prayer had won another battle, even after his death. Who are you praying for? Who are you praying for? Don't give up. You don't know when the answer might come, right? But you can be sure God is at work. In fact, we've got some prayer cards on the back table, information table. Uh, write down three people that you would pray for, commit to pray for. Imagine if every one of us did that, believing like George Muller, those prayers are going to have an effect. Imagine if every one of us did that, three people through the next year. Stick that card on your mirror every morning you pray, right? They're on the back there. You can take them on, on your way out, on the information table, right? Fill those out. Some of you here have been praying to see a spiritual awakening in this country, and you've been praying and longing for decades, wondering if you might just see a revival in your lifetime, right? Let me say, don't give up. Don't worry about the amount of rubble. What's that to God? Don't worry if you see deterioration in society. You get depressed about what you see happening around you. No, remember the Lord, right, who is great and awesome. So often as we see throughout history, just when everything seems to be lost, God comes suddenly and unexpectedly, and it can happen in a moment. Maybe you're growing weary of trying to help someone or in loving someone where you're just not seeing results. Maybe you're tired of being the only Christian at work or in your dorm uh, or in your family. Uh, maybe you've become weary in the battle that I mentioned earlier. It's so easy to become discouraged and to lose heart, isn't it? But listen to Paul, the Apostle Paul in Galatians 6 verse 9. He says, Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season, right, at the right time, in God's perfect time, in due season, we will reap if we don't give up. If we don't give up. Right? Don't look at the size of the rubble. Look to the Lord who is great and awesome. Amen? Now, what then about those prayers, those questions that seem to go unanswered? What about those unfulfilled longings? What about the seemingly senseless pain and suffering that we may sometimes endure? What do we do in the face of such difficulty? Well, again, we must remember the Lord. All right? Gareth reminded us last time that when Nehemiah's enemies tried to get him to come down from the wall and to meet with them, he said, I am about a great work. I cannot come down. And that scene, as he reminded us, is pointing us to a very similar scene in the New Testament because it was when Jesus was on the cross that his enemies mocked him and said, if you're the Christ, come down and save yourself. And he could so easily have done so. He could have commanded an 
army of angels to help him. But he refused to retaliate. Like Nehemiah, he was about a great work. In fact, the greatest work of all. And John tells us in his gospel that in his last breath, he said, It is finished. And the work that he had come to do had been accomplished, that through his death and resurrection, he had made a way for all things to one day be restored and to be redeemed. And that's why the writer to the Hebrews says this to a people who were losing heart and who were tempted to give up the faith. This is what he says. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him. Remember him. Remember the Lord who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. It was for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the cross. The joy that one day all suffering and pain will cease. That sickness and death will be gone. Evil and injustice will be no more. It was for the joy of seeing every wrong made right. To see every loss restored. Every longing fulfilled. Where one day, as we were hearing this morning, our weeping will be turned into dancing. And at the very center of it all, in the new heavens and new earth, will be Christ and his people. Right? And there will be a great celebration. There is going to be a great reunion. Jesus endured the cross for that everlasting joy. And it's a joy that we can all enter into. And that's why Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4. He says this, 2 Corinthians 4 verse 16. He says, therefore, he says, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. For this light and momentary affliction, whatever it is that we are facing right now, right, he says, is preparing for us. That's an amazing thought. It's actually achieving for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Right? It's beyond anything that we could ask or imagine. So that the joy that we experience then will totally eclipse whatever pain and suffering we may endure now, so making it seem light and momentary in comparison. That's what he's saying. And so he says, we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen, which includes all the answered prayer we have now, right? that's transient, that's temporary. But the things that are unseen, that is the joy that's set before us, that's eternal. That is forever. Amen? That's what lies before us. We don't know exactly what's around the next corner, but we do know that Jesus has gone before us. He fought for us, and he's fighting for us still. The Bible says he is interceding on our behalf. He has pioneered a way for us. And he will ensure that we will all make it in the end. We might think that everything's against us. 
We might think we just can't win. The truth is that in Christ we cannot lose. We just need to keep our eyes fixed on Him. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And we're going to do that right now as we break bread together and share communion, remembering the Lord. But before we do, let me just, just quickly remind you right, of the other thing we learned from the story, and that is that we need one another. Right? When we share communion, it's a community uh, thing that we do. So it means we need to be mindful of one another here. Uh, maybe you know of someone who's going through it right now, who could do with your support and your prayers. Um, well, you might think about going and pray, praying for them or maybe making a time with them to meet up with them. Or if you yourself are in need of some support today, please come and talk to one of us after the meeting. Please come and get prayer when we offer prayer after we share communion together. Um, please consider joining one of our small groups because it's where everyone can engage in some form of community where needs can be made known, where we can help one another, encourage one another, uh, fight for one another. Now, we're going to be advertising new groups in January, so please consider uh, joining one because we are about a great work. Okay, but we can't do it alone. So let's share communion together. Now, maybe you're sitting there thinking, what, again? We did it Friday night. We did it last week. Do it again this morning. Jesus told us to remember him often. Okay, and it's a means of us drawing near to him, of us remembering him. That's why he said we should do it. But it's more than just a, a, our minds remembering him. Actually, we receive grace. It's communion with him. Okay, that's what's happening. Um, I can't explain to you how it works. All I know is when we come in faith, when we're putting our trust in him, we receive from him. Okay, and listen, every one of us in this room needs grace daily. Right, whatever you're going through, you need grace today. Right, this is a means of us coming and Drawing from him all the benefits of what he's done for us, right? Placing our stake in the future and all that he will accomplish. All right, let's come to him this morning. Um, if you're not a believer here, that's fine. You don't need to participate in this. I would just say to you, if you would like to put your trust in Jesus today and receive all that I've been talking about this morning, and know that your future is secure in Him. He invites you to come to Him today. He invites you to put aside everything you know that is wrong with your life, living for yourself, and to live for Him because He is good. And He is trustworthy. All right? He's asking you to remember Him, the Lord who is great and awesome. You come to Him today, right? And if you want to do that, you come and join us in communion as that first step of putting your trust in Jesus today. Amen?